Hello again. Well, it's been quite a week. As I think about what is going on in our world right now, it's hard to know what to say. It's hard to know what to feel, let alone what to say. And I'm aware also that as a white man, my job right now is not really to say anything. My job is to listen to listen to the cries of the black community, to listen to their stories, and no matter how much I think I already know, to first listen, and then to learn, and then hopefully to serve my neighbor. But we do need to process what is going on. We need to speak sometimes to work through what is being heard, to voice and to own our place in it all, to speak and to own our place of privilege to speak and to own our complicity in the current systems that oppress black men and women each and every day. So we do need to say that to one another, my white friends and neighbors. Because while we have lived lives of comfort and ease, or at the very least, led lives striving after only these trivial things, our society, our police forces, our prisons and corrections facilities and systems the government that is supposed to be of, by, and for the people has remained one that simply does not see black and brown men and women as fully human, as full members of our society. Because if we did, we would not stand for their abuse. If we did, we would not stand for the racial disparities in education and opportunity that persist throughout this country. And if we did, we certainly would not stand for the continual murder of black men and women by officers who are supposed to protect our communities. George Floyd is only the latest name in a long list. Breonna Taylor, Philando Castile, Eric Garner, Michael Brown, Tamir Rice, just to name a few of the most recent. If you don't know these names, look them up. Look each of them up and learn their story. Learn the stories and you will know that we have a problem. We simply have not loved our black neighbors as ourselves. There is no other way to put it. And we need to own that. We need to speak that. And we need to repent of that. To truly repent which means much more than feeling bad and praying for change. We need to turn away from how we have been. We need to be the change. We need to actually move and to turn away from our ways and toward something new. Turn toward the good. Turn toward a better way forward. We can no longer be seduced by the easy path, no longer lulled to sleep by comfort and distracted by the endless entertainment of our consumer society. We need to open our eyes to the world we have created. And we need to actively turn and steer our lives, our communities, our nation in a new direction. And although it feels unnerving, although it might feel like we don't know how to move forward or where to go or whether or not we can do anything that matters, we must turn and step out in faith. And in that crucial moment, it is then that we must listen. We must listen well, my white friends. Because we don't know where to go. We don't know where to start. We don't know the way forward. And we certainly don't know the experiences of our black and brown neighbors. We haven't paid attention to what life is like for them. 
And yet we are the ones with the power. We are the ones with the ability to shape the world because we are the ones in the privileged positions. We must listen and we must serve our neighbors. We must listen and we must trust. We must listen and we must submit to them. We must submit in service of the other. Or at least the perceived other. But that is the scary part, isn't it? Submitting, letting go, taking a back seat and actually letting someone else speak, letting someone else be in charge. Why is that so hard for us though? Seriously, and I mean us specifically, why is it so hard for white American Christians to submit to our neighbors in love? Why do we grasp after ease, comfort, and security rather than offering ourselves over and humbling ourselves enough to listen, to just listen? Why can't we submit to our neighbors in that way? You would think that the followers of Jesus would be the ones who knew how to do such things. You would think that the followers of Jesus who washed his own disciples' feet and even specifically said he did it as an example for us, you would think that we would know what it means to serve. You would think that the followers of Jesus, Jesus who submitted peacefully even to death in order to show us the ways of God, you would think that we would know how to submit to one another in faith and love. And yet we don't. Yet we grasp after control, or at least the status quo. Yet we grasp after this thing called law and order, which serves both as a dog whistle to the racist factions among us, who use such language as an excuse for oppression, but which also works as some sort of hypnotic talisman that waves before our faces and lulls us back onto our asses, complacent. And there, planted on the couch, we watch the world go by, telling ourselves we have Jesus and praying for his second coming. And in our hearts, we bow to the false god of security and control. In our hearts, we bow to the god of the status quo, the same god as the pharaohs of Egypt who oppressed the Hebrew slaves, the same god as the Roman Empire who sought only power and control, the same god as the Pharisees and Sadducees whose god was so static in righteousness that they did not even see the Spirit of God in the very incarnation of Christ before them. Yes, we who sit here today in our privilege, in our comfort, and in our safety, we worship that god of the status quo the God of control, safety, and security. In our hearts, we do. We just don't know any other way. And I don't say this to beat you up. I only say this to wake us up, me included. Because you see, here's the sad truth. In our hearts, so many of us white American Christians are the rich young man whom Jesus encountered. Do you remember that story? The rich man came to Jesus knowing all the things that he was supposed to do according to the law, and yet he was still hung up. He was hung up because he somehow knew that there was supposed to be more to life. He hadn't quite put the ways of God into action in his life. And so to his credit, he kept asking, he kept seeking. I know the ways of the law, he said, and I've kept all the commandments. What else should I do, he asked. He somehow knew that the status quo God of commandments wasn't quite the end of the story. He knew he wasn't experiencing 
what Jesus and his disciples seemed to be about. But when Jesus told him what it would take, when Jesus told him there was one thing he lacked before he would actually see the ways of God in his life, what did the rich man do? Do you remember? Do you know? He went away sad. He turned and walked away. Why? Because Jesus had told him that in order to get to that greater vision of his life, he would have to release his comfort and his control and his safety. He was told to give up his possessions and enter a life of service following Jesus. And he just couldn't do it. He could not do it because his wealth and his position in society must have offered him something that he just couldn't turn away from. And I have to imagine that it had a lot to do with comfort and safety and security. He knew that there was more to life. He knew that this Jesus was somehow in tune with God and, and that's why he was drawn to him. But he couldn't understand how this itinerant lifestyle of preaching and healing out on the margins of town with the outcasts and social misfits could fit into that. He couldn't imagine how those things were of God. So deep within him, he could not turn away from the societal gods of luxury, safety, and security. Period. And so, even drawn to Jesus, he went away sad. I wonder how many of us toe up to that same line, but then just stand there, sad and longing for more, longing for a different way forward, longing to be part of the movement of God in this world, but not knowing how to unseat the gods of convenience, safety, and security that rule in our hearts. You know, it's funny. Preachers are always quick to point out that the story of the rich young man is not prescriptive. No, no, don't worry. We are, we are not being asked to sell all of our possessions. They are quick to comfort. That wouldn't make sense. Our lives are full of the gifts of God, they tell us. But why? Why are we so quick to comfort one another in that way? Why are we so quick to let ourselves off the hook? Maybe we need that question now more than ever. Are your possessions, are your comforts, are your luxuries and entertainments, is your position of privilege and leisure, is keeping the status quo getting in the way of your living into the humble, submitting way of Jesus? Because God is not about the status quo, never has been and never will be. God, especially through the Christian lens of Trinity, is about movement. Just like Jesus, God is moving out on the margins. God is not sitting on the couch. God is not safely held in beliefs, doctrines, or laws. The Spirit of God is on the move, pursuing righteousness, pursuing justice in the world, and moving toward others in love. Always, always, always moving toward others in love. Again, imagine that picture of the Trinity, three persons in a continual dance of outpouring and intaking love. And specifically, the Spirit of God is moving and serving, loving and walking with those who are oppressed. We saw that in Jesus, always moving and proclaiming, always walking toward the outsider, meeting them where they were in love, and then continuing on, submitting, serving, not controlling, going with until the very end, going all the way with us, 
wherever it would lead. That is the picture of the Christian God, and it was made so, so clear to us in Jesus. God is never about control or domination. God is always about submitting in love, the suffering servant, suffering and serving for the sake of the world. Wouldn't those who claim to know God through Jesus especially want to risk such service for the world? And I know, I hope you know, I hope you understand, if you are still listening to me here, that this sermon, this preaching is absolutely a sermon to myself. I call you out as the rich young man because I know that I am that rich young man. I call you out for towing up to the line and not knowing how to move across that threshold because that is exactly where I stand in my timidity, in my fear, in my lack of faith, in my lack of imagination for how to do life any differently. But we've got to find another way. I've got to find another way. We've got to heed the call. We've got to listen to the Spirit. We've got to pray for the wisdom to listen and then pray that we might know how to step forward. And then we've got to take that step one baby step across that threshold and into that call to open ourselves up toward one another, toward the other whom we may not know or understand that well, but if we move toward them like Jesus did, if we submit and humble ourselves like the very Son of God, then we know we will be walking with him toward that kingdom he proclaimed to us. You know, as I watch what is playing out in our world right now, as I follow the news and lament the state of things in our country, I keep hearing two things ringing out in my ears. I keep hearing the Beatitudes from the book of Matthew and then also Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. And I keep imagining how we still have a chance to live into these words today, how we always have a chance to live into the mysteries of God that Jesus tells us about. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We always have the chance to be so blessed. We always have the chance to be so humble, to be so peaceful, to submit to one another and to move toward one another in love. And Jesus goes on from there to give examples of how to do these things. He talks about loving your enemies and praying for them. And about how if someone hits you on the cheek, you should turn and offer the other as well. How if someone makes you walk a mile with them, you should willingly walk too. But why? Why would we do that? We would do it for the sake of the most important thing, relationship. We would do it to show love. We would do it as an unmistakable act of submission, moving toward the other and walking with them. 
Yes, Jesus always spoke of and lived these universal truths, these ways to know and to see and to be a part of the movements of God at all times. But I also think of our times in particular and of our society in America, and I think of that I have a dream speech. The eloquent way MLK spelled out the problems of our days, but then also held forth that beautiful dream. And if you haven't listened to it lately, I highly recommend that you do. It is so, so important. Just search online and you can find video or audio, but listen to the whole thing because it is so timely. And because you have to understand the context when he gets to that ending crescendo, when he says, even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I have a dream, he says, that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. After all that MLK had been through, after all that he had seen, he still had a vision of hope for this world. He still had a dream for America. And it was the same vision that Jesus shared with the world, the kingdom of God, the table of brotherhood. They are the same thing. People living together in peace, people moving toward one another in service and in love. but we have to listen to these voices and to actually hear them. Sometimes it seems like we named a day after MLK so we could ignore the things he stood for, and we named a set of beliefs after Jesus so we could simply ignore the way that he lived and what he taught. And now I know that's not necessarily fair about our intentions, but it is perhaps true about our actions. And so I pray today that we would shape those actions, that we would turn, listen, and begin to submit, begin to walk more humbly like our God toward our neighbors. I pray this for myself. I pray this for you. And I pray this for our country. Amen.